You know, different people react to childhood abuse differently. Some children are bold enough to tell their parents or someone they trust, and then they get all the help they require, while others simply suppress their experience in their mind and suffer the emotional pangs and regrets for years or even decades. It is devastating when the perpetrator of such a terrible act is a family member. In the case of our guest, Brandy Miller, her stepfather started abusing her from the age of four. Sit back as she takes us on her journey. Welcome, Brandy. <laughs> Welcome, Miss May. This definitely is the day the Lord has made. Amen. And I am so rejoicing and too, too, too glad in it. <laughs> Me too. Amen. Amen. I know, you know, ever since I knew you, I mean, I know your life is full of testimonies. I know the Lord keeps working wonders and I know we have a lot to share this evening. Absolutely. So I'm just going to jump right into it, Brandy. Go right ahead. You know, I've always wondered about your humility and your ability to forgive. Where did that come from? Um, well, to be honest, the first time that I realized um, that how, how much I needed to learn to forgive, I, I was reading a book mm -hmm. that I love to read. And the book was um, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. And you get to the end of the book, and they've managed to kill the enemy. And he goes in, and he has an experience where he realizes that the enemy that he just killed, they did the harming to the, to the human race out of ignorance. Not intention, ignorance. And so what, what the human race had done was to totally obliterate them. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, they had become the very monsters that they had feared all along because they could not forgive. In pursuing vengeance, they had essentially become exactly what they had pursued. And I, I looked at that, and I looked at myself, and I realized that if I couldn't learn to forgive, then I was doomed forever to become whatever it was that I decided to hate. And I didn't want to be that. I, I didn't want that in my life. Um, I had been abused by my stepfather from the age of four until the age of nine. I had a lot of good reasons, at least, you know, good human reasons, to, to harbor a grudge and to hold that. but when I realized that my risk in doing so was to become like him, then I began to pursue forgiveness. That's very good, Bradley. Wow, that's very good. When you say you began to pursue forgiveness with everything, I mean, your spirit, your mind, your body, your soul, everything? Everything. Okay, we're going to come back to that thought because I know we have, we're going to shed a lot of light on that. But I want to go back a little bit Okay. Um, because I always love to bring out testimonies from people possibly going through what you've gone through. And by hearing your testimony, they know it's okay to talk about it. They know it's okay to come out of the closet if it's something that's hot in them. So can you shed some light? I hope you don't mind. I don't. When we go back to you being molested by your stepfather, I mean, from age four. Age four is an early age. Uh, it's a very early age. And do you remember? Yes. What yes, do you I remember? Do. Um, well, he started with, um, it, it was really very hard for my mother to detect. Uh, she could be in the room and he would never know it because he was tickling me one minute and then he was tickling me in a wrong place the next minute but his hand was hidden so that you couldn't tell exactly what he was doing mm -hmm. and that's how it started and it just went escalated from there now, and when he was tickling you in the wrong places did you know this this is wrong my gut feeling 
was to feel sick. I hated it. In fact, I stopped being ticklish altogether just to get him to stop doing it. I, I don't know how I did it. I guess psychologically I just turned it off. And to this day, I'm not ticklish. It doesn't matter. You can do anything you want. Are you sure? Well, can I'm I positive. You can, you can make every show. effort. After the show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I'm not ticklish at all. Oh, wow. And um, it, in many sense, I, it was horrible because I learned all the wrong things. Um, he taught me that it was okay to lie, steal, cheat, do whatever you wanted to, as long as you didn't get caught. Getting caught was the only sin in his book. Um, I thank God that I was given an infant baptism because the graces from that gave me the clarity to see that even though he said it was okay and that this was how things should be, that this wasn't how things were supposed to be. What, what made you know there's no house um, things are supposed to be or we're supposed to be? I just knew. It, it was just that in my heart, I knew this, this was not how things were meant to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have anything concrete to go by. I just knew. And, I, you know, it's sitting in Mass every day, and you don't realize it, but you get those scriptures, and you're hearing the Word mm -hmm. of God, you know, every week in Mass. And that was really the only exposure I had at the time for Christianity was, once a week on Sundays, and then whatever religious education once a week mm -hmm. on Sundays. Mm -hmm. So basically two hours a week to combat 166 hours a week of evil. Mm. And um, that's, that's not a lot to go on, but it's a testimony to the power of God that the Word and the baptism have so much power to protect the child from that kind of indoctrination. Okay, so why, why did you keep quiet? I didn't. What happened? I, I would tell people, um, friends, other people, it, nobody did anything. They didn't um, do anything because they didn't believe you? You know, I think it wasn't that they didn't believe. I think it was that they didn't want to get involved. I see. I, I think they just didn't know what to make of it. Okay. Um, and, and when I was six, I did tell my mother. Um, as far as I knew, nothing happened. She told me later that she had confronted him, which psychologists will tell you that's a huge mistake because usually the response of somebody who's a sexual molester is to kill themselves and then, or kill everybody and then kill themselves so that no evidence can ever be found. But all he did was tell her that it was my fault, basically, that I had started it and that he had stopped it and it would never happen again. Okay. And, and, and when she confronted him, did you notice a change? Did he then stop doing uh, what he was well, doing? Well, for three weeks he stopped. Okay. And then he came back and he told me basically that if I ever told anybody again, we would be homeless, um, we would be kicked out because he was the only one making any money and my mom would not be able to get a job. And so our family would be torn apart and it would be all my fault. Okay, so you kept quiet. No. <laughs> Grace of God. I did not keep quiet. I've never been a quiet person. So, no, I kept telling people. just couldn't get people to listen. And um, then we moved to Wyoming briefly, came back home, and I happened to be talking to a friend of mine that lived in the neighborhood. His name was Daniel, and he and I were having a conversation about the problems that were going on at home. And I told him about my problems at home and what my stepfather was doing, and he said, you need to tell your mom. And it never had occurred to me to try telling her again. I guess in my own mind because I told her once and nothing happened it was a closed door so he told me that and I was 
like, well, hmm, maybe, okay. So that night, my mom happened to be watching Sybil, and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Sybil, mm -hmm. but it's about a young woman who's sexually abused by her mother and develops split personality syndrome. And I was like, afterward, I was like, mom, uh, can that happen to me? Because <laughs> 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 that's not what I want. And so I told her again, and I was afraid she wouldn't believe me because I was smiling and giggling nervously through the whole thing. And she did, though. She believed me. How she told old me were you at this point? Nine. Nine, okay. She told me not to say anything, that we would go to the police in the morning after he left for work. And um, we did. I didn't say anything. We acted, tried to act as normal as you can. And went to the police station. And I gave my testimony to them. And that day I found out that I wasn't the only kid in the house that had been molested. How did you find that out? The police pulled in my brother and sister. They were also yes. being molested? Yes, they were also being molested. And um, it, was, it was awful. How did that make you feel? I don't really know that I, I, I don't know, it was, it was really kind of bizarre because we never talked about those things. It, once you get that kind of dysfunction going on in the household, nobody talks to anybody except to bicker. That's the only talking you do is fighting with each other. And um, so I had no idea what was going on. No idea at all. And they arrested my stepfather that evening. I watched. I cried. I don't know if I cried for him or for us or for both. Um, and then it, it was really hard after that because my siblings, <laughs> rather than, you know, oh, great, thanks. Nope, they were, it's all your fault. Why was it all your fault? We lost pretty much everything. I mean, my mom didn't have a job. His income was what had been supporting us. He had to move out of the house. My brother was angry because he'd lost his father. Um, my sister was angry because now she didn't know what we were going to have to live off of. And so I got, it's all your fault. And it was very hard place to be. Uh, but... It was God's way of preparing me early on to be somebody who could stand in the face of anything and still testify to the truth. And that was the beginning of God really preparing me to, to be a witness in contradiction to others, even in the moments when nobody's supporting you, when you're the only one standing up, to still stand That's for good. what's right. That's good. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, looking back, it's, a, it's definitely a grace, but it, at the moment it was horribly painful, horribly, horribly lonely. And my mom was going through a lot of her own things. You know, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine your mother, you worked hard to protect your children, you thought you were doing what was best for them, and you find out that everything that you've done is like letting poison into your kid's system. Hmm. But she was very brave to have taken you to the station, and that was very brave of her. Uh, yeah, actually, psychologically, most women will reject the children rather than the man. Mm. Um, and she did not. You know, she stuck by us and stuck with us. And uh, I can definitely tell you that I was not exactly grateful or nice. I, all the anger that I had from that incident came right out on her. 
Okay, so you had been building up anger. Well, you couldn't talk about your feelings in our house. It Why? was not a Why safe was place. That? Because he would beat you. Okay. Or, or ridicule you, or you, you walked in fear constantly. You didn't dare open your mouth to say what you really felt, or really thought. It's not welcome. I see. So everyone had a code of silence, more or less. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You were not to talk. You you just didn't talk. Okay. I broke the code. <laughs> I was the rebel without a clue, apparently. So, yeah. So after breaking the code, I'm um, code. Um, what next? Now your stepdad was gone, and then your mom. You know, I mean, your mom had to fend for the three of you, and I mean that's well, that actually, was difficult. That's when we discovered there was a fourth one on the way. Oh my goodness. My little sister. Oh. And um, you know, my older sister was very angry about my mother being pregnant. She wanted my mom to get an abortion. And but only because she all she could see was us already in financial hardship and the potential of another mouth to feed. That was all she saw. I was delighted. I'd been praying for years for my mom to have another kid. And here we were, going to have another kid. Great. <laughs> my brother was devastated because he had been the only child, the baby of the family for, um, you know, all nine years of his life. Mm -hmm. And now he's about to be kicked over for somebody else at a time in his life when he felt like he needed a lot of attention and love. And, um, but my sister, she turned out to be the greatest blessing God could have ever given our family. Um, in a lot of ways, it was because of her that we started pulling back together and healing, trying to take care of her, trying to do for her, trying to shield her from the effects of what happened. Is it not amazing how God works? Oh, yeah. You know, he, he provides before the need arises. I mean, when your stepdad was going and it looked like the world was falling apart, God had already put something in your mom's womb. Mm -hmm. It's going to bring the family together. Oh, yeah. Cause healing and so forth. That's, that's the God we serve. If there's any one of you watching, you know, that's going through molestation of some, for, some form, and, and, and like Brandy's sharing this evening, no one could talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. I mean, who would you recommend them to talk to? Um, well, the main thing is they're currently being molested, and if they have a relative that they feel would stand by them, by all means, go first to a relative. And, and let them help you go to the police station. Because you, you have to understand that it is not a kindness to your molester to allow them to continue. It's not. It's bad for their soul, and it's bad for your soul. The greatest gift you can give them is to uncover the truth so that they no longer have to hide in deception. And I know it's painful, and I know it's difficult, and I know it doesn't sound like it's good for them, but the truth is the kindest thing you can give them. And they've been hiding for longer than you have. And they've been going through molestation of their own. If, if you knew their story, your heart would break. So more or less, when people molest, there's something behind it. Oh, definitely. You don't... The thing is that they don't, they don't even necessarily think of it as molestation. They're just doing what they've been taught to do. Who taught them? Like, well, in my case, okay, mm -hmm. um, when I was six, I would molest boys. When you say you molest boys, how? No, really, I would put my hands on places that didn't belong. Oh. Because that was what I'd learned. I didn't know any better. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did, 
that was the grace of Christian baptism and, and hearing the Word of God regularly, but I knew it was wrong, and yet that was how I knew to relate to a boy. That was the only way I knew to have a relationship with them. And it was the relationship I was seeking, the love that I was seeking, but it came out in, in physical form because that was how I would receive it. So more or less it's a pattern that passes on. Exactly. I see, exactly. I see. I see. So when your stepfather um, was um, sent to jail, how did he feel? Did they, I mean, how did he feel towards you since you blew open um, the lead? I felt that he belonged. He needed to go to prison, mm -hmm. but I wanted our family okay. whole. You know, I, I wanted it to be fixed. And I, I wanted him to be better, to get better. That's what I really wanted. And then um, about six months after... Tiffany was born, my little sister, um, you know, the tide kind of turned and my mom's sentiments toward him changed and instead of wanting him back, I was nothing but angry. I was angry at what he'd taken from me. I was angry at what I hadn't been protected from. I was angry at the world, angry at every person who knew me and hadn't listened. You know, when I told them, I, I just became a very, very angry person, but I didn't express it a lot at school. You, you would never have guessed, except that I didn't have any real friendships or relationships. I mean, I really didn't. I was, Is there, was there a reason why you didn't have real friendships? I didn't have real friendships with girls because the only relationships I knew how to make were with boys, and um, I wasn't interested in girls the same way. That's interesting. That's interesting. You know, I keep hearing this all the time when I talk to people that have been through, you know, experiences mm -hmm. like this. Um, did, so it left you angry. Did it leave you hating yourself at some point? It left me feeling like God didn't care. Oh, wow. That's something else. Like, where, where was he when I needed him? You know, wasn't I good enough to protect? Why didn't he intervene? Why didn't he come to my rescue? You know, was, was, it, was it that, and didn't he promise me that, you know, angels would carry me and I wouldn't dash my foot against the stone? Well, <laughs> that's a lot bigger than a foot dashed against the stone. You know, I mean, that, that pain was very real. And it took me years to come to a place where God was ready to show me because I wasn't ready to listen before then. When you were, not, when you were um, going through pain, what, how were you taking it out? Um, mostly sexual relationships with guys. Was that, was that, um... It was to seek love. I, I wanted them to love me. I didn't know how else to make them love me. And I didn't think I was good enough for them to love without the sex involved. And what did you discover? Well, it took me, uh, let's see. I lost my virginity at age 11, so it took me another... 25 years, not, not 25, I'm sorry, 15 years to figure out that that wasn't the case. That I didn't need the sex to be loved. That that wasn't appropriate, you know, that wasn't a way to get loved. And it, realistically, um, I had tried to be so many things to so many people that I had lost sight of who I was. I didn't even know who I was anymore. So you just wanted people to love Love Brandy, just accept me, please, whatever it takes. Exactly, just but love the, me. the irony of that was that I was willing to become whatever they wanted me to be, and as a consequence, denied them the ability to know who I really was. And so they couldn't ever really love me. They might fall in love with whoever I was pretending to be, 
but that wasn't really me. All this, all this while you were, were you, were you, you were sad, inwardly. Yeah. Well, I, there is a lot of, of sadness. I mean, there were many times that I contemplated suicide, but thank goodness I was a little too chicken to ever follow through. <laughs> I think I loved life a little too much to, to hang it up, um, a little too much of an optimist to, to actually give in. And um, yeah, I kept praying. I left the church at 17 because of the reason that I couldn't find anybody who could give me an answer as to why God let it happen. Why? And that's all I really wanted at that point was an answer. I wanted to know why. So when you, when you finally, um, what was your turning point? I mean, what, 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 what happened that um, caused you to step back and say, forcing people to accept me is not working. I mean, what was it that did it for you? I was walking. Um, I liked to walk. I still do. And I was walking one evening. And as clear as day, I heard in my head, five years make them count. And I realized that what would I do if I were given an actual sentence of five years? If that was all that I had left in my life? Was I anywhere where I wanted to be? You know, was I satisfied with the life that I'd lived? I looked at it and I said, absolutely not. This is nowhere I want to be. I hate where I'm at. I don't like this. I don't like who I am. I don't like what I'm doing. I'm, I'm tired of everything. And I went home. I had a list before that of a hundred different things I wanted to do before I died. And I cut that list to five things. What were the five things, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I don't mind you asking at all. The first thing was that I wanted to fix my relationship with God. I wanted to go to heaven. <laughs> I didn't want to go to hell, and I did believe in hell, and I did believe in heaven, but the odd thing was I wasn't interested in working toward either. I was, actually, no, I take that back, I wasn't interested in working toward heaven. I was convinced already I would go to hell. Mm. But I decided that in the face of confrontation that I didn't really want to go to hell. I joked about it, but I didn't really want to be there. Well, you felt like because of all that has happened, you're going to hell. Oh, I knew. All the things that I'd done, there was no doubt in my mind that that's where I would go. I see. Um, and oddly enough, prior to that, I really didn't have that much remorse. I guess I had guilt. But guilt is a different thing from true remorse. Because guilt is permission to continue doing what you want to do and you just say you feel bad about it. And, you know, it's not an, an incentive to change. And I needed that. And so I went home and that was the first thing was I wanted to fix my relationship with God. The second thing I wanted to do was to make sure that the relationship between my husband and my son was sufficiently strong that when I was gone, they wouldn't tear each other apart, but they would be strength for one another. So more or less, your turning point came after you got married. I mean, oh, you were yeah, already well married. after I was married. I was, I'd been married for a good long while when it came. Oh, wow. What's I'd that? been married for over five, six years. Six yeah. years after. This yeah. Is, this, this is also... Yeah. Okay. So we, uh, he, he went through a lot with me because um, the inability to relate to men on any level other than sex um, really caused so many problems in our relationship. It just really did. It just about tore it apart. Mm. I see. I see. So um, you've, you've named um, two your um, God first, your husband and son, your family mm -hmm. second, and then what are the three other 
Um, the third thing I wanted to do was to pay off all my debts. Okay. I didn't want to leave my family with a whole bunch what of debt. What a good girl. <laughs> and in, in my heart of hearts, I felt like if you've, if you've gotten in debt, you've made a promise. And you need to die with that promise resolved. Mm. Yeah. The fourth thing I wanted to do was, oddly enough, to get my degree. Not because I, I, I'd always wanted my degree, but I also, my grandfather had wanted me to get my degree. And um, it was important. And then the fifth thing I wanted to do was to die knowing that I had made a difference, that the world was a better place because I'd been here. Okay, Brandy, if you don't mind me asking, did you do those five things in five years? No. Were you able to accomplish them? <laughs> no. Okay, what, what did you accomplish among all the five I things? I did get you... closer to God. Okay. My husband and son's relationship did get closer. Okay. But by the time the five years got here, I was miles away mm. from where I should be. And actually, the funny thing is that um, I had wandered, wandered away because I got hurt again. And I felt like God didn't love me. That every time I got hurt, I just saw it as more proof that God didn't really care about me. That I wasn't really worth it. And um, then we got to a point where I walked away again. I'd come back to my faith. I'd been really strong. And I felt like God had abandoned me. And then things happened. And I was so hurt and so devastated by it all. And... Um, so I, I left. I thought, okay, well, God doesn't really care if I'm here or if I'm not here, so I'm just not going to be here. Maybe God isn't even really there. Never challenge God. I know. <laughs> I know. And uh, the odd thing was, right before I left, though, I had written a prayer to God, and I said, God, I, I please, I want to be a saint. I wanted, I wanted to go to heaven. And, you know, never ever challenge God that way either, because He will honor that kind of prayer. And he knew I wasn't headed towards sainthood right then. That's good, Brandy. Brandy, this is so much for us to finish in one show. I mean, you're going to have to come back. Oh, I definitely there has There has to be a part two. Yes. Because we haven't touched on so many things. We want oh, to I know. know how you ended up forgiven, you know, um, your stepdad, you know, back, I mean, later on when you met him again and so forth. It's just time, time always goes out when I have a very interesting <laughs> guest. So I'm going to have you come back. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I trust this has inspired your heart today. Do you have an outstanding story you think might bless someone else? Send an email to podcast at manaexpress.com. And also visit our website at www.manaexpress.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Mana Express. Watch out for more episodes of this podcast. And bye for now.